All right, we are back in the studio uh, today. Uh, this is the Ordinary Courage podcast with your host, Venetia Briolt. And I'm so excited uh, that we have in the studio with us today, Agnes uh, Chen. I hope I said that right. Yeah, you did. Uh, and Agnes is a registered nurse at the Calgary not-for-profit Calgary Urban Project Society, which we all know uh, as CUPS here in the city of Calgary. Uh, Agnes has 15 years of professional experience in the public sector, uh, service sector, sorry, uh, working to enhance the well-being and resilience of her clients and community, many of whose, whom struggle with mental illness, addictions, and poverty. As an active member of the Trauma-Informed Care Collective, she is also passionate about promoting empathy and co-creating resilient and trauma-informed communities. Her personal experience of growing up in a home where the chaos of mental illness and alcohol addiction existed allowed her to not only personally experience the all-encompassing negative effects Uh, that addictions can have on a family unit over multiple generations, but also the need for more empathy and understanding towards those struggling with its effects. After struggling personally with depression, she started a grassroots initiative called Starling Community, where she is passionate about growing our city with an empathetic understanding of adverse childhood experiences and the need for a community that believes in and supports the potential in every single child and child in them, putting the cycle of resilience instead of trauma on repeat because supported kids become resilient communities who are able to support kids. I, I love, I love that, Agnes. I, I, um, like when you sent over your bio and everything like that, and I was reading through it, I, I was, uh, just even your bio is so informative. Well, thank of, you, Venetia. Yeah, and so I just, I, I like to just dive right in. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and so I, I would love to um, jump in with your own, just your own personal story, mm-hmm. and, and then just why you're so passionate about what you do. Yeah. Um, so my own personal story. Um, as uh, mentioned in the bio, so I, I did grow up in a home where there was alcohol addiction and mental illness um, and the chaos that comes with that. And, and for my own story, um, there was a lot of chaos that came with that. Um, um, you know, there, there can be um, really good days and really great days, but um, I generally was anxious when weekends were coming or holidays were coming. Mm-hmm. Um, we often had police officers and EMTs visit our home um, because of the chaos that comes with that. Um, and essentially, um, I think, you know, um, we all as children um, make sense of our stories and who we are because of the people who are around us. Mm-hmm. And when the adults in your environment um, aren't able to support you, um, in, in healthy ways, which obviously as a kid, you don't, you don't coin Mm -hmm. it that way. You just think they don't love me or I'm not lovable or I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, impacts you of course. Um, but in terms of where sort of my passion comes from, it's, 
it's I knew my my parents were really good people I knew that they were struggling I knew that they had struggles um and um you know we would have you know you know the in quotation marks the helpers that would come which I was grateful for but when you're met with more stigma and aggression from the helpers Mm -hmm. who came in the home um um I I really early on recognized that you know um how they treated my family um also told me you know a lot about myself that we weren't good enough as a family unit mm-hmm. um that we weren't worthy of support so um i i i'm sorry to jump in there but i think that is so and you and i were talking a little bit before you know we started recording mm-hmm. and you had you brought that up and i know that the i know the work that you're doing and we'll get into that too but is is to change that message because I like when you said that before we started recording I could so relate to that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know just the way I I knew too how my family was looked at like mm-hmm. yeah and and how we were talking yeah you know I I um you know we were talking about how you know in society we're always told um we just people are supposed to be written off Right. And mm-hmm. as much as there could be anger um, and, and harsh things told, it's not always all ugly. For my story, anyways, there were mm-hmm. there were moments of good that you hold on to for that hope. Um, and you love your parents and yeah. you love your family members. Mm-hmm. And um, and, you know, I, I eagerly held on to hope that there would be a you know change. And I, you know, I don't remember how old I was. I was really little, but I remember when I recognized that, um, when police officers or EMTs came, um, it was, it was a bad experience. We would sometimes run off into the hallways. We didn't want to be around when they were present. Um, that shaped a lot of who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and I know that there, it's not, of course, not all police officers are going to, um, present a certain way. So I don't Mm want to paint a negative picture, but, um, the reality is that, um, for me, it, it was, it, we, there, the experiences were often very negative, mm-hmm. um, because there is still, there, there is that stigma and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So do, do you mind giving like an incident, just sharing an incident mm-hmm. that you remember? Um, I mean, to be honest, um, you know, when I was really little and, and I would, I would, I always, you know, I, I think i felt as you know sort of a protector and I would always wait at the bottom of the stairs um because I thought that I could I could help in our household uh, make things better even as a five-year-old six-year-old and so when police would come because you know there were domestic disputes um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, police would often come in shouting and yelling and knees on backs when there was no aggression back at them um and and you know there's this um, and we hear it today, even, um, you know, with everything that's going on with police officers, um, that, well, if the people are being aggressive, you know, you know, wh- why are people complaining? And the thing is, is that, um, you know, as a, as a registered nurse, as a health professional, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we're in those positions, when we come in as helpers, um, we have to understand how trauma impacts people, how adversity early mm-hmm. on impacts people and how, how you react in really negative ways and how those dysfunctional habits and coping mechanisms come to play. And so you hope that there are people that will come in and help you understand that mm-hmm. and make sense of your story um, and stop that. But I mean, those, those sort of stories, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, to honor my, my, you know, some of my parents' story, I was speaking with my dad about how police officers had treated him and, 
and he will always say, oh yeah, they, they would beat me because I was drunk. Um, and you know, it's hard because you love those people and you, and you want somebody, you know, when they, when they fall, and we've talked about this often, yeah. everybody needs a safe place to land when they're falling. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always an opportunity for us to come in and help and um, children aren't supposed to be responsible for that. They're not. But Correct. when society tells us that your family's not um, worthy of our love and attention, mm-hmm then you hide all those stories and then you learn yeah. about yourself as being not worthy. Mm-hmm. And then, and then who's going to, who's mm-hmm. going to pick that up? Who's going to help that child and that family? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, in terms of stories of that happening, it's yeah, even, I mean, I shared a story with you earlier that those kind of things still happen where a police officer said, you know, commented on a family member who they gave tickets to and said, you know, um, who was drinking in public um, in public, but in, in a pretty secluded place. Um, and, you know, made the comment that I, I, you know, just so you know, there's tickets in her pocket and maybe that'll help teach her a lesson next time. Um, and those were word for word. And it was obviously a trigger. Um, and I was really angry. Um, how, how long ago was this, Agnes? Oh, that was last year. Yeah. Wow. So that okay. was, you know, as an adult. Um, um, and so it there is a lot of just misunderstanding Mm -hmm. and we're still, um, you know, we talk about mental health and we talk about addiction and I'm so grateful that there's so many more conversations, but there's so much work that still needs to be done. I agree. Because until we're face to face with people and we're not changing the way we're interacting with the person Mm -hmm. right in front of us, we're just, we're not going to see a decrease in addiction and mental illness and and people struggling. So I agree. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you, um, so as a child, you're growing up with this. Um, so where, where did that take you? Um, so, um, you know, we had a pretty dysfunctional home. Um, and essentially, are, are you the oldest? Or I'm not, sorry? I'm middle. I have two older yeah. brothers and I have a younger sister as well. Okay. So yeah. you had a fairly yeah. decent sized family. We did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, all throughout my junior high and high school, my, my only goal really in life was to graduate, get a job and move out and take my sister with me. (laughs) That was my goal. But, you know, as long as I can graduate and, um, take her and, um, it's funny. I mean, you, you mentioned it in, when you shared your story on your podcast, you know, um, um, it's sort of what, you know, right. That chaos Mm -hmm. is all, you know, and you just get used to repressing those feelings and Mm -hmm. those experiences and not thinking about it. And I remember in high school, we had, um, we had a presentation and it was, I don't know if it was about drinking or addiction or mental illness or mental health, but they had the whole school. So we were a high school with grade 10, 11 and 12. And there was a presentation and it was essentially a play where it showed case, um, parents arguing and becoming physically violent with each other. They were intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were two siblings and the older sibling was saying, um, I'm going to take you, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to, we're going to move out. And I want to get emotional even thinking about that moment because I remembered at that point, I I would have been in grade 10 when I realized that, um, that was the first time I understood what a trigger was Hmm. where I had never been triggered before because nobody talked about addiction Mm -hmm. or emotions or certain, and that just pinpointed, I thought, how do they know about this? And then I thought, I remember thinking, how do they know about this? But nothing's been done. Why, why are we still experiencing this? And why were we little experiencing this? And I remember, um, at that point, um, realizing that, oh, this, you know, 
growing up, I kept thinking, I, I, I couldn't wait to be an adult. Couldn't wait to be an adult because when you're an adult, things are better. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to be an adult. So my whole plan was move out, you know, take my youngest with me and it will be better because it just gets better because you become an adult. Um, and then you become an adult <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. you realize that those experiences don't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, um, I went to school, I became a nurse, um, really, to be honest, I went to school for nursing. I loved people. I loved health. I, I am, um, a social person. I love being around people. So that was my goal with nursing. I never, I never, um, I never connected that I could make a difference, um, in terms of, you know, going on a, you know, uh, working with people who struggle with mental illness or addictions because mm-hmm. I didn't want to share that part of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I can totally relate yeah. to that. Yeah. And I mean, we talked about, I, I worked, um, you know, when I first moved to Calgary, so I worked uh, at the Rocky View intensive care unit and essentially, um, there I met a gentleman who, um, he came in, he was homeless on the street. Um, he was my patient for a few nights in a row and, um, and he, he got a lot of really bad news. So he was homeless. He, um, tried to kill himself, um, through doing testing. He ended up having cancer that was, um, that really, he wasn't going to have a long time to live. And I remember, you know, the second night he got the news and I said, you know, is there anybody we can phone? Mm -hmm. Um, and he said, no, I said, any family, is there anybody we can call for you? Um, and he said, no, no. And, um, I, I kept trying, I kept saying, you know, this is a lot to carry on your own. There's Mm -hmm. a lot coming at you. Um, is there anybody that you would just like to call? And he said, he said, no, I burnt all those bridges. Nobody wants to have anything to do with me. And, um, and I, I always, you know, thought of my family and just those experience, that feeling of not being um, worthy enough. But he said, he perked up and he goes, oh, wait, he goes, can you call the doctor at the drop-in center? Um, and her name was Dr. Hurley at the time. Oh, I totally yes. know her. <laughs> and I called, um, and she said, oh my gosh, he's okay. We were worried about him. I can't believe it. Thank you for calling. Tell him we're thinking about him. And at that moment, I knew, you know, um, we got lots of overdoses at the Rocky View. We got lots of, we got lots of alcohol, actually. Um, people who were, you know, ulcers from drinking and that was the moment that I realized that, um, you know, a place like the drop-in center in Calgary can make such a huge difference. Like every, like we said, everybody needs somewhere to fall to mm-hmm. be able to pick them up. And that was the place for him. Um, and then I went on to work a little bit, um, at the drop-in center and, and to be completely honest, um, I actually, I, I, there, there was a, a lot of things happening. I had a miscarriage at that time. Um, and, and, and the drop center was a really big trigger for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt really helpless cause I wanted to help everybody. And it, it, you know, in hindsight, um, it was sort of the role that I played my entire life where I just, I couldn't, I wanted to take away so much pain from people. And I realized that that was, it was, it was overwhelming for me. And mm-hmm. I, I wasn't able to provide that support for, um, a lot of my patients. So in any case, I, I moved away from that, and then I realized I my my drive to really start advocating and um, and really sharing the stories of resilience that was happening, you know, at places like the drop-in center, mm-hmm. and, and and the recognition that you know, even in my own circles where people wanted to give and they could be empathetic within the four walls of a not-for-profit, as soon as they left those four walls and they saw anybody who resembled somebody who would use those services. Um, that empathy was all of a sudden gone, you know, it was sort of the not in my backyard. Why would people do that? Why would people act that way? Why are people making poor choices? And I kept hearing this and I, and I, and it just was this gnaw inside of me of, but these aren't always choices. I, you know, mm-hmm. um, 
in any case, um, I became a parent. Um, I met an amazing person. I got married. Um, and that was, you know, that idea of when you get older and you become an adult, um, things will be better. And I had everything. I had an amazing husband. And, um, you know, we bought a house, something I never thought we'd ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my experiences from early on, they really had an impact on my relationships. And, you know, me and my, my husband and I talk about it now. I was really insecure. I would get angry at him a lot. Um, and then really when I recognized that there was, um, for myself, was when I had kids. And um, and then I was really triggered. And my all my childhood just came flooding in um, at me. Um, and... I didn't reach out for help to anybody, so it was, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of postpartum depression. And 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 to be honest, de- you know, I can think back to when I was seven, eight, when I would lie on my washing floor and wish that I wouldn't wake up in the morning. Yeah. Um, um, so it's not, you know, I I, I want to call it postpartum depression. Even depression, it's a product of of the experiences that we have, right? Absolutely. Um, and. And after having kids, and and it wasn't until after my third where I realized, you know, um, the experiences that I had and the way it impacted me was interfering with my relationships, you know, creating really um, healthy relationships with my own kids. Mm -hmm. And this has to stop with me. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that and um, where I I did, I I started seeing um, a counselor and whatnot. and, and, And really at that point realizing I, this has to stop, you know, um, um, my kids don't deserve it. You know, I didn't deserve it as a child. My Mm -hmm. parents and the trauma they had in their childhood, Mm -hmm. they did not deserve Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has to stop and, and, um, and sharing our stories and being real with that. Um, and I know Venetia, um, I, I wanted to mention this in the beginning, you know, you, yeah, you and you sharing your story. I, you know, along that path, I should mention that, you know, I moved to the community that you lived in seven years ago. And, and, and it turns out we moved there at around the same time. And um, it was on Facebook, the wonderful world of social media. You shared parts of your story on that. And, and that was a part of my journey. Um, you shared, um, you know, a bit about your struggle with addictions and, and about your children. And, you know, um, hearing about your children, you were so open and honest. Um, it was inspiring because little snippets, you know, I got a taste of um, of of other people's experiences, and it provided me um, with the courage to come out. I should also say along that journey, um, when I worked at the Rocky View Intensive Care Unit, um, so we can backpedal actually before I met the gentleman um, with the drop-in center, I was working a night shift with one of my best friends today, um, Ashley, and there was a a physician working. And we were talking about, um, you know, how we had lots of people with addictions who came out to our unit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're all human and and people would make comments about some of the clients that we'd get because they would, you know, um, be a bit more aggressive Mm -hmm. or, you know, Mm -hmm. say things in a way. Um, And I remember talking with this doctor about that. And it was the first time I had a doctor talk with such compassion and empathy about people and he said you know he was from Iran and he said you know people always say to me I'm you know you're from the Middle East like that must be so hard and the things that you see and experience and he said you know you 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 guys aren't noticing what's happening on in your own backyard um and he introduced me to Gabor Mate so I got the book okay. in the realm of hungry ghosts yeah. and I got it and I read it like within a few days yeah and that was the f- that was another part of my journey where I thought 
oh my goodness, I can relate to all of these stories. And oh my goodness, there is somebody, again, who has such empathy and compassion for these people Mm -hmm. who I felt I could relate to and see Mm -hmm. within my family. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went on to learn about the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study and, you know, which validated so many of my experiences Mm -hmm. and helped me to understand, oh my goodness, I'm not alone, but why why does it still feel so lonely? Mm -hmm. Why are we not talking about this? so there were so many moments um, that definitely got me uh, built up my courage to mm-hmm. be able to share a little bit more about myself. Um, yeah, and then and then I started Starling Community, um, which was um, essentially to you know, as you mentioned in the beginning, really to it is to grow an empathetic understanding because empathy is such a trendy word right now and I think sometimes you know we need time you know empathy is to understand another person's perspective but we need time to understand a person's perspective Mm -hmm. we really need to listen to the stories Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that are around us and when we walk by and see someone you know in the trenches of addiction yeah um, how much of their story are we really trying to understand Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow there's uh, sometimes it's so hard for me to just like <clears throat> to, to because there's so many nuggets in what you've said and what you've shared like there's so many different avenues or roads that we could just go down you know what I mean and it's so let's talk let's talk about starling like because I remember so I was scrolling through Instagram or whatever and that's how that's how I like ran into you basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I just loved the messaging that you were putting out. Um, you know, just the, um, the awareness, the advocacy, uh, just every the education, um, just everything that you were sharing. I was like, I like I I remember the first time and I think it had had something to do with um, human trafficking was one of the very first posts I think I ever ran into Mm -hmm. on Instagram of yours and and I was like cheering at home Mm -hmm. I was like because that's I just felt like oh my gosh this is like I I loved what you were um, what you represented and the messaging that you were putting out into the world and even everything that you're sharing here today from, you know, your own story, I can relate so much to what, to just so much what you're saying and, and some of your experiences and the triggers and the feelings, even the mm. way you talk about your family, the, the, you, the love that you have for your family in spite mm. of what happened because I, I feel that same way about my family. Um, and then just your experiences in and through work and, and all of it. And I guess, I guess what, you know, so yeah, we'll go into Starling, but this is the beautiful, and I'm, this is really just kind of coming to me now as I'm saying this is, I think this is, this is so key to us really creating an impact and making a difference out there is we need the lived experience. Mm-hmm. And and I know that we 
you know, that's been, I'll use your word, like a little bit trendy, you know, oh, the lived experience, we're kind of getting into that environment of like, you know, oh, you know, the lived Mm -hmm. experience. And we, we'd like you here today because you have the lived experience, but I don't think we actually fully, um, I don't think we fully grasped just how absolutely instrumental lived experiences, especially when you tie it together with, you know, other, other outside education, um, Mm -hmm. you know, job experience, like on the job experience, like, and then you combine all of that. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, how you touched on, you know, the idea of lived experience and, um, you know, often I think people hear lived experience, you know, I call it the hero's journey where we hear about somebody who's gone from rags to riches. Yeah. Um, and we see that hero story, but the story, there's so many places that we're not listening to. Yeah. Right. And it's, um, it's, it's creating that space where people can share their story. And they are, when we see that person who's struggling on the street, they're Mm -hmm. being vulnerable. They're sharing parts of their story. You know, when, when police come to a home where there's a domestic violence dispute, that's a part of somebody's story Yes, that we are a part of. And are we listening? Are Mm -hmm. we listening to that part of the story? Right. And I think, um, I think for me with Starlings, it really is to um, um, to highlight that, I, you know, there are statistics and there's science that can back up everything we talk about. But until we start listening to the stories that are happening right in front of us in the in the conversations we have with our own kids, with our parents, with the grocery store clerk, when we walk past that person who has the sign, you know, until we start listening to the stories that are happening right in front of us. Oh my gosh. How are we going to, how are we going to impact change? Right. Mm -hmm. We can, we can be an organization that says we're trauma informed and have all these, you know, check off all these boxes. But until we start recognizing the person right in front of us and recognizing, truly recognizing and seeing and supporting the Mm -hmm. potential in them and giving them that space to say, I hear you. And that sucks. You know, I see you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We we talk about giving people space to feel what they're feeling, but you know, I I, I, I often such sh- a good. <laughs> I share this this post about you know be kind, and I, I remember I remember it hitting me one day. You know, we, we're often saying be kind, which is a beautiful message message, and we prescribe love and kindness and empathy mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. We prescribe mm-hmm. it all the time, and I realized it hit me one day that we're prescribing kindness and love and empathy only to a certain pocket of people. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're forgetting about a huge amount of people. You know, the message I was hearing was be kind, but be kind to people who are being kind back, who aren't struggling, who mm-hmm. who don't appear to be struggling, right? Mm-hmm. What about kindness when we are in the presence of somebody who is really struggling mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. have that armor and they're trying to mm-hmm. protect themselves? Absolutely. Right? And it's, it's how do we present ourselves in a way, um, yeah, to just let people truly unconditionally mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. accept people. I think that's... Uh... I I love what you said about like we we interact with so many people in our day and it, it's so true what you're saying like we're we're all a part of each other's stories you know what I mean just depending on where where we enter how we exit you know things like mm-hmm. that you and I are now a part mm-hmm. of each other's story mm-hmm. and even literally where we are in our lives right now today you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. when you're going through the Tim Hortons drive through and the, you know, the, the 18 year old teenager that's sitting there 
at the end of the drive through like we're a part of that story. We're a part of that young man's story. Or you come out of Home Depot and there's a homeless person there. We're a part of that person's story. They're a part of ours. Absolutely. Like there's so many opportunities. You know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be the times when the police are called or the EMS is called or, you know, we're, we're having to go to the food bank you know, whatever, right? Like whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. love that. I love that. You know, I, um, I so believe that. We talk about it takes a village and, um, and, and I, I, I know I, I shared this recently, so, but, um, you know, we're all automatically a part of the village. We're all a part of our lives mm-hmm. and how we contribute to that village. Yeah. Um, is impactful. And, you know, in terms of Starling, if there was one message that I, 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 I want to push is, you know, if, if, each of us can commit and we're going to make mistakes, but if each of us can commit um, to take every opportunity when we're in the presence of a child to build trust with them mm-hmm. because kids are going to act out. And if they see, Oh no, you're a threat. And I know for me, you know, I, I was on high alert and I don't know how it was for you, Venetia. Yeah, I was on high alert. You're on high alert. Who's Absolutely. safe? Who's not? Who is yeah. safe? Who's not? Who is yeah. safe? Who's not? You looked at me, you, your tone, your body language. I, you know, I, everything was a threat. I, you know, mm-hmm. would see people in school, uh, teachers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and I was very fortunate. Um, you know, I should throw that in. We're talking about all, all the things that happened in our life. I was, I was really fortunate to have amazing teachers, um, who knew nothing about my story. Cause I was a, a bubbly person who, you know, I internalized all of my, um, emotions and experiences, but I did. I had some incredible people in my life who who helped me to recognize and tried to put me in leadership roles that I always I denied because I always thought, no, I'm going to let you down. That mm-hmm. was my mentality. No, I won't show up. I'm going to let you down because that's just what I knew. Mm-hmm. You let people down. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Starlings, it, it it is, you know, the key thing for me in terms of adequacy and just that awareness piece is that people have to understand is that um, you know, nobody just becomes an addict. Nobody just becomes homeless. There's so many steps Absolutely. before that, right? Yeah. And I think of the movie, you know, Born a Star. Have you seen it with um, with Bradley Cooper? And oh, Lady a star Gaga. is born. A star is born. Yes, Thank yes, you. yes, yes. You know, and I and I was talking to my husband, and that movie was a big trigger for me. Um, just mm-hmm. everything, you know, the thoughts that he had, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately how he um, succumbed to his disease. But you know, I I remember saying to my husband, you know. Everybody I talked to loved that movie and they, they, they felt for him at the end. They just felt for him, mm-hmm. you know? And I thought if you took, if there were two parts that you only saw of his story, if you saw the part of him in the bush where his friend comes to get him, so paper bag on the ground, he's in the bush mm-hmm. and the part where he goes up when Lady Gaga wins an award and he pees his pants and yeah. he's belligerent to her. Totally. If that's all you knew. Would yeah. you be cheering him on? Exactly. Exactly. Right. And we see small snippets, tiny snippets of people's stories. Yes. And we judge them and we write them off. Uh, Yes. Right. And and, and I can, I felt that that was us. That was my story. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I have never experienced addiction. Um, You know, I, I'm so grateful for that, but many people in my family have, and Mm -hmm. I see their struggle and I see how we get, we write people off. I see it in my clients, how we write people off. Yeah when we just see a small part of their story. Yeah. yeah. I, I literally was um, just posted about this yesterday because I, after Earl's mm-hmm. podcast and just because um, 
you know, just where he was, you know, Calgary dropping a rehab center, mm-hmm. homeless, and then now he's the executive director. But it was like this, it's that same thing, that same message, right? If And exactly that, just like what you're saying with the movie, right? If you, if you would have just walked in on those two little episodes there of, you know, Bradley Cooper, you know, demonstrating the, that person at his worst, we wouldn't have cheered him on. We would have been, we would have been like, what a loser. <laughs> like, holy, he just ruined her life. He need like, Absolutely, she should dump yeah. him. Like, yada, yada. Like, and it's so true. It's so true. It's so true. I, it's so, um, it's just so good to, it's so good to hear this for me, <laughs> for me, no, absolutely. you know, cause I, I think we, we need more of this messaging. We need to be reminded of this, I think more and more and more because, and honestly, it, and not even with people that are only in addiction or only struggling with mental, but just people. Absolutely. And I mean, and I mean, right? for me, like, I, I don't, you know, you, and none of my friends I'm, I'm sure would, would think I had depression they wouldn't and you know there's a lot of friends that don't know any of my story so I don't look like that person yeah I don't yeah and and that's the thing we never know what someone's going through and when we see someone in their full vulnerability at the job at the job center on the street and and Mm -hmm. we see them Mm -hmm. expose themselves like that Mm -hmm. um I don't know what's more vulnerable you know we're talking about be vulnerable and it's happening in front of us every single day Mm -hmm. people are being so vulnerable Mm -hmm. we just Mm -hmm. need to listen yeah a little bit yes I love that I love that message yeah listen I, uh, I would like to, um, so can you, can you share with us, um, some of the work you do, like the, the, uh, childhood adverse, um, mm-hmm. adverse childhood experiences. Yes. And yeah. just, um, maybe s- some tips and just, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I, and I know we chatted about this before. So for me, um, it really is growing that awareness piece about um, adversity that happens in childhood. And um, and I guess I can touch on, you know, the study that the ACEs study. So yes, in 1998, please. they did a huge ACEs study. Um, uh, the CDC and Kaiser, um, it was 17,000. It was more than 17,000 individuals. Um, and what they found and they, and they related it back to the the, the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences that they focused on was abuse, so physical, emotional, sexual, Mm -hmm. um, neglect, emotional and physical, and household dysfunction. So living with a parent with a mental illness, living with a parent with an addiction, Mm -hmm. um, having a parent who was incarcerated, um, witnessing domestic violence, and losing a parent to death or divorce. Um, Now there's more studies because obviously there's more forms of adversity like racism and, you know, systemic racism, um, unsafe communities. But those were the 10 that they focused on. And and the stats that came out of that were huge that um, two out of three people had experienced at least one. Mm -hmm. um, And it was one out of six people had experienced four or more. And and what the research that they did showed was the more ACEs you had, the more adverse childhood experience you had from these 10 um that the the more it impacted um your life your physical and mental health so you know um your ability to make and maintain friendships and relationships um you know the the rate of individuals who had addictions Mm -hmm. who who um who were incarcerated um all of that would go up and so um 
all of that information is so important because, uh, you know, I've had conversations. I remember I was doing um, a session at In From The Cold um, with, with with families, um, just talking about how we can support each other, how, you know, how love works yeah. in the brain, what actually happens in the brain. And I remember one parent saying, right, but this doesn't really happen in Canada. Like, this isn't a big issue in Canada. And, um, and it's that idea of trauma. Um, it doesn't exist in our backyard, right? It mm-hmm. happens in a, wor- a world away, a country away, an ocean away. That's mm-hmm. trauma. People who experience war. Um, and, and, and it's that realization that, you know, trauma isn't, um, Dr. Gaborite says, uh, trauma isn't what happens to you, it's what happens inside of you. And actually, I'm going to, uh, there's another doctor, Dr. Peter Levine, he says, um, trauma is not what happens to, uh, isn't what happens to you. It's not the experience itself. It's what happens inside of you in the absence of an empathetic witness. So wow. trauma. Can you, can you say that again? Yeah. So, um, trauma is not what happens to you. So it's not the experience itself because we know two people could have the exact same experience mm-hmm. and end up totally. coping in completely different ways yes so it's not the experience of what happens to you it's what happens inside of you and what happens to your nervous system and your stress response system um, and that parts of your brains that you know um, regulate your emotions or help you regulate your emotions in the absence of an empathetic witness and I think that that's mm-hmm. a really important piece because we often mm-hmm. focus on what trauma is and saying that it's all these negative things that happen to people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would consider myself resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's because of the people that I had along the way who did see something in me and supported that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part that people need are those protective factors. So the ACEs study, it focused a lot on the risk factors. So, um, you know, living in the, those environments puts you, puts you at increased risk for physical and mental illness. Um, and, and, you know, one of the main researchers said, this is the biggest social determinant of health people, you know, with an A score of seven or more are dying 20 years earlier than the rest of the population, you know, physical illness that's happening, um, all the mental illness we're seeing, Mm -hmm. um, it's huge. And so, um, you know, a message that we need to take from that is that, um, you know, all those instances that we see addiction, mental illness, you know, mm-hmm. domestic violence, so many of those are so related. Mm-hmm. And if you look through most of the people who had them themselves had adversity in their childhood. And yes. They, and then they yes. had adversity in their childhood. Yeah. Um, which is true for my family. I know you shared parts mm-hmm. of your story, which is true mm-hmm. for your story. And every single person I have ever had as a patient who, you know, who opens up has had that same story. Mm-hmm. Just, generationally, just generationally. It just keeps going exactly. and going this so cycle. It has, yeah. And we know the protective factors that, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, living, you know, having those relationships, solid relationships, whether it's in school um, and whatnot. So, wow. So it's really, you know, I, I love to highlight that study and and what Mm -hmm. came from it so that we can all recognize how we can really make a difference in each other's lives and we do we know we do right Mm -hmm. the interactions we have as we said absolutely our stories are so interconnected and we can always make an impact in somebody's life yes yeah yeah okay so just because even as you were talking I was just um thinking too like wouldn't you agree doesn't it seem like it it has just gotten worse do you know what I mean? Like there just seems to be way more addiction, way more mental health, uh, more like our kids are getting sicker at a younger age. Our kids are more diagnosed at a younger age. Our kids are more medicated at a younger age. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, there's so much, you know, even research, um, on, on, um, 
it's that attachment relationship with our kids. And, you know, um, for me, when I realized um, how uh, my experiences were interfering with my relationship with my kids, I wasn't able to provide those lovey-dovey coo eyes with, with some of my kids when they were born. I, mm-hmm. I, I sort of checked out. I didn't have to put on, I didn't have to put on the smiley face because my kid was a newborn and I didn't have to pretend anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, um, I think, a lot of people are really stressed. I think there are a lot of parents who are more isolated. You know, we, you know, there's lots of research now on loneliness and how people feel lonely totally, and isolated, yeah. right? Yes, and how that yes, impacts yes. kids. It really does. It impacts our ability to be parents in healthy ways, to connect with our kids, you know, and, and, you know, just going back to the science of it, um, there, there's a doctor, Dr. Linda Mays and, um, there's a really great program called the brain strain. It talks all about adversity yes, and trauma and care. Yes, yes, yes. And she says, you know, the role um, of a caregiver, the, that attachment between a caregiver and child is stress regulation. You know, I have, I have a newborn at home and, mm-hmm. and you know, it, probably about 200 times a day she'll cry and she's hungry, right? Those needs need to be met. I'm hungry. That's a mm-hmm. need. Your stress response goes in. I feed her, right? She's cold. She needs love. She needs connection. How many times do I pick her up to show her that? That is my main role is mm-hmm. helping her be able to regulate her stress. And that attachment piece um, between your, you and me and my child is what will set her up absolutely for success because it will help her brain develop in really healthy ways so you know where's the Mm -hmm. disconnect there for Mm -hmm. a lot of people you know I don't I don't know what the research is in terms of now versus um then but it is I mean mental health in our kids it's still it's you know one in five and Mm -hmm. that's just the people we know I mean yeah I know right yeah (laughs) okay so couple of things so mm-hmm. one you just mentioned the brain story yes which is amazing where will you be able to send, give me some links yes I will so it's through Alberta Family Wellness Initiative but I will send you the link yeah okay um and can anyone go on and it's completely free it is very intensive program it, it's very long very thorough though so for anybody who wants a really in-depth understanding of how adverse childhood experiences um, mm-hmm. adversity can impact um, somebody for the long term it's an amazing program I will send you the link there are other ones that I can send you as well that yes, are a bit shorter please. there's one actually through the Calgary Child Advocacy Center called uh, being trauma aware it's two and a half hours again it focuses on abuse but all those same key pieces are there okay. about how adversity impacts a child a developing child and can impact them for the long term um, so that's another one so I okay, can send yes, you as please. well um, yeah. and then what are some so what are some takeaways like what are some things that we can, that you would recommend for connection? Um, just even like just some of the things that we've talked about, just some, yeah. Um, I would, um, I would challenge everybody to really, when, when those judgments, um, and those criticisms, you know, want to creep in, um, and it's really unfamiliar territory when we see somebody, um, who we think I don't like their behavior, um, I don't, I don't agree with their behavior or, or, you know, how they're raising their family or I don't mm-hmm. agree with those kids. Um, you know, I would really challenge everybody to really ask yourself why, you know, why, um, why and try to understand them and see a person before that criticism and see a person before that behavior and see a person mm-hmm. who we can all relate to how it feels to be angry, how it feels to be sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, that's really the key in terms of connecting with somebody is moving past all those judgments and criticisms mm-hmm. and the unknown and really try to try to understand from their perspective, which is really hard to do. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. it is, yeah, especially yeah. when we, we can't relate at all. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I think really it is see a person in front of you first. Mm -hmm. Just see a person. And when you open up that space for them, they can, you will, you will, you will give them that space to know, okay, I'm worth it. I'm worth your time. I'm worth your space. Mm -hmm. What are, um, just some of the, like even with your, the work with Starling and stuff like that, what are, what are some of the, because I know prior to us recording, like just some of the messaging that is really important to you to get out there. So just, so just share some of that with us right now. Yeah. Um, I think with Starling's for me, the big thing is, is that, um, um, you know, there are a lot of people really struggling. Um, and, and, and we can, we can all, um, we just need to, you know, put that idea of what we think trauma is or adversity and struggle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we got to put that aside and really just see the person and, and the person who's, who's sharing bits of their story, who say, you know, who are showing you they're struggling and just believe and believe them mm-hmm. and be present for them. Um, and, you know, with Starlings really for me, um, um, my big goal and like I, we talked about this um you know the interactions I had with first responders and EMTs mm-hmm. and whatnot mm-hmm. um um we need to take that opportunity when we're in the presence of a kid and make a difference in their lives and mm-hmm. I know that's really hard to do when you're when you're in, in in a position where a kid is showing really ugly behaviors but they are a kid and 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 you know they say resilience requires relationships and the more relationships that a child has, the better that their outcomes can be. And we can always be a part of that child's story and contribute in a way that can um, support their resilience. And we need to do it. I really believe we need to do it Mm -hmm. um, to, to, to see change within our, in our communities. I, yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree. What, what are some, some key messages that you would like to, is there anything that I said to you that I can even elaborate on previously? Um, we, with Starlings, at the heart of everything that I do, it's, um, you know, and I, and I know I, I included this, to see a child, uh, to see the child in them, right? Because yeah, we can often, yeah. you know, Dr. Dr. Gopal Marte has a really good quote, and I'm going to bash it probably, but... You know, he says we can see and support sort of the child that we see on the street, which I don't necessarily think is always true because children are really good at hiding mm-hmm. um, the darkest parts of their stories. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, we we we're, we're, we so easily can say, oh, pick yourself up. Why are you making such poor choices? Mm-hmm. And the and, and the truth is when a person hasn't had that child in them loved and nurtured and cared mm-hmm. for and told that you are worth it. It's really hard to believe that about yourself. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we need to be able to validate those parts of our stories. Um, so, you know, I, I keep saying, you know, um, support the child, but support the child in them mm-hmm. who needs to be supported and seen mm-hmm. um, and validated as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agnes. Wow. I, um, I, I know that it, it's a little bit, um, can be a little bit challenging that I, I, I apologize if I was, you know, uh, kind of like, because there's so much info, I almost feel like w- really we probably could have used two podcasts in a way, like just to try to mm-hmm. really tackle everything and, and dig into some of this stuff because there's a lot of really good information um, here, like just even you talking about the brain story and just the brain and trauma and how that works. And I mean, th- that's a whole 
that's a whole podcast right there. Um, but I, I really, I really appreciate you, you know, even sharing parts of your own personal story, your own personal journey, um, even through work and everything, you know, and, and so, um, we're going to have, um, we'll have all the, like once we, you know, put your, this episode out there, we'll have all those links available. So just everyone knows that we'll have the links available for all of the articles and information that Agnes was talking about. We'll have it all available in the show notes. And so you can follow up with some of that and follow you on, on Instagram and stuff like that, uh, just to get more info and to, and to stay up to date with some of this stuff too, and to reach out. Um, thank you, Venetia. Thank you yeah. for everything that you're, um, you're, you're creating, um, beautiful space for people to share their stories. Thank you. Um, so you're a part of a lot of people's journeys, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah thank you, Agnes. I really appreciate you being here today and, thank and sharing you. so much and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, actually. There, I've had a few, it's hard sometimes, because I know, you know, you, you need to be listening and following, but there's some things that you said, too, that I just, some really aha uh, uh-huh moments, Aww. even for myself. So I really um, just really value you and really appreciate you being here and being vulnerable and just showing up. Yeah, thank you. Just wholeheartedly. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we are, um, that's it for this episode. And again, I just thank you. And we just thank all our all our listeners for tuning in for another episode. And thank you guys so much for uh, being a part of the Ordinary Courage podcast. And hopefully we can create you know, like an ordinary courage family through all of this and just connecting and connecting our stories and, and, uh, and just reaching as many of you out there as possible. And just to know that we are so connected and, and, um, I'm believing and trusting that you got something out of Agnes's story today and her journey and, uh, and just to remember to pass it on and, and share it with your friends and family. Uh, this is the Ordinary Courage podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much any podcast platform, I believe. and uh, Or the, the website, even the VenetiaBriel.com website. But thank you again, you guys, for just being a part of the journey with us. And uh, we'll, we'll see you again soon. Thank you.